Thank you so much, David, for leading us. And Jeff Epps, thank you so much for that powerful, powerful song about being redeemed. It's my joy and privilege to be with Don and Gail again and their three daughters. It's hard to believe Don has been 27, 28 years since we first met. For $50, I will give you some stories about Don. This morning is basically an introduction to what we'll be sharing tonight through Wednesday night. It's my contention that in America, the church for the most part has lost a vision of who God really is. I so appreciated the worship time we've had together and how it exalted the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. In churches I've been in, it's all about us and me. And so it was refreshing for me this morning to hear the Lord himself exalted. For 2,000 years, God taught his people, the nation of Israel, about who he really is. Moses, take off your shoes for the ground you're standing on is holy ground. We need a fresh heart vision of the God who has loved us with all that he is. We have enough teaching in this country to sink the Titanic. If teaching was going to do it, it had been done. But teaching is not going to do it. Seminars is not going to do it. We need teaching of the truth. I am a teacher of Bible truth. But there's got to be more than that. There needs to be teaching of the truth, but also the heart revelation of the very presence of God. I have been in places where God just descended. That's all I know how to say. He's always present. He's omnipresent. Present everywhere, all at one time, equally. But there are times it's like he pulls back the veil of the Holy of Holies. And suddenly we realize, I am in the presence of God himself. And where I've seen that take place, people just sat in silence. First time I ever saw it was in a Baptist church, a traditional Baptist church in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And the Lord just came one night, and when the pastor dismissed the service, the people just sat. 
in stone solids. I'd never seen that before. I was a very young man. I didn't know what to do. Nobody moved. Like they'd been hit in the head with a board. Stunned. We need a heart revelation that goes beyond just the teaching of God's Word. So I'm trusting, as you have prayed, I'm trusting that in these brief days together, we're not just going to see truth with our heads, but our hearts are going to encounter God Himself. And wherever that happens, folks are never the same. How do you think about God? When you think about God, if you think about God, what do you think about? How do you see Him? What comes to your mind and your heart? Do you think of God as a real person? A very real person. Invisible, yes. The word, again and again, the Word of God speaks that He's invisible. You cannot see Him any more than you can see air, or you can see electricity, or you can see atoms. But He's real. Do you think of God as a real person? A real person. Do you think of God as a person who is affected by your behavior? In all eternity, in the presence of God in heaven, we will never, ever comprehend the magnitude of this God who is invisible but is a real person. One of the delights of heaven, I think, is going to be the greater and greater and greater discovery of the glory of God. He's infinite. I'm finite. Never in a million years will I ever be able to comprehend the infinity of His glory. Do you care? Do you care how your behavior affects God? Do you really care? My wife and I have been married 55 years. I care how my behavior affects her because I love her with my heart and soul. I've told her many times, there's no way you'll ever understand how dearly I love you and how precious you are to me. I care how I affect her because of love. Do you care how you, your behavior affects God? You'll need your Bibles this morning if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to see that God is a person who's affected by our behavior. Living a godly life begins with this understanding. 
God is an invisible person, but He's a real person who's affected by our behavior. If you'll look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man... I'm using the English Standard Version, by the way, the ESV. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention or imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now let's pause there just a moment and insert something. God created us different from all the rest of creation. All the rest of creation shows what God can do. You look at a lovely sunset, or you look at an orchid, or you look at a rose, or you look at animals. It shows what God can do. The firmest showeth forth his handiwork. But man is the crown of creation because God reserves something for man that's different from anything else. God reserved for man the capacity to shine forth with the glory of God. He created us in His image, and He wanted us to be able to shine forth with His glory, His character. What we see in the Lord Jesus is what God intended for every one of us. Jesus said, He who hath seen me hath seen the Father. God intended that all of His human beings shine forth with what He is like. That's the crown of creation. Everything else shows what God can do. We are to reveal in the way we live what God is like in His beautiful character. Holy, righteous, just, pure. And then if you go to verse 6, you see what happened. God saw in verse 5 that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And, and, and I failed to mention this. Listen, every, every intention of man's heart was only evil continually. There was not any intention in man's heart that was righteous and holy. There was, it was constantly evil. And this is why Jeremiah wrote, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. In the Hebrew, that word means the heart is deceitful above all things and incurably sick. So the very ones that God created to shine forth with His glory and reveal what He is like are incurably sick because every imagination, every intention of His heart is only evil continually. Now verse 6. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Have you ever been grieved to your heart?
Grief is a love word. John Doe dies, I don't grieve. I don't know John Doe. But when my grandson Jonathan died at age five of cancer, and my daughter was going through a divorce at the same time, I grieved. Grief is a love word. And so God was grieved to his heart because he loves his crown of creation. And to see what they had become because of disobedience in Adam, it grieved him to his heart. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 6, the major prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. This has to do with his people, the Jewish people, his chosen people, the nation of the southern kingdom, Judah. In chapter 6 of Ezekiel, beginning in verse 8 through 9, he's pronouncing his judgment. He says, yet I will leave some of you alive when you have among the nations some who escape the sword, and when you are scattered through, throughout, through the countries, then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive, how I have been broken over their whoring heart that has departed from me and over their eyes that go whoring after their idols. I have been broken. Often we think of God as, as unaffected. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, eternal, infinite, unchangeable, just. He's so far above And yet, through Ezekiel, he says, I have been broken over their whoring heart that went after idols. Look at Luke chapter 9, 19, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it says in verse 41, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. That word wept does not really communicate what the Greek word says. The Greek word says, he wailed. He sobbed out loud. They had rejected him. He wasn't weeping because they rejected him. They were, he wept because they had rejected the very one God sent to be their Savior. And he wailed and sobbed out loud. He was brokenhearted. Do you remember the Lord Jesus said to Thomas, He who has seen me hath seen the Father? That means everything that is in Jesus was in the Father, and everything about the Father was in Jesus. There's nothing about the Son that's unlike the Father, nothing about the Father that's unlike the Son. So when we see the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the Father's heart. And Jesus wailed and sobbed out loud over the condition of the people in Jerusalem who rejected the love that God sent. That's the Father's heart. And so now if you go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We said earlier, grief is a love word. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the truth of the Holy Spirit, as you have been well taught, is the fact that when a person has been regenerated, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside. Every child of God has the Spirit of God living within them. There is no difference between the Holy Spirit and God the Father and no difference between the Holy Spirit and God the Son. Three persons in one, one person expressed in three. Distinct persons. The Holy Spirit knows himself as distinct from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knows himself as distinct from the Father. Profound mystery, never explainable, and no illustration will illustrate it. It's infinite truth. But what the Father is, so is the Son, so is the Holy Spirit. 
So when a person is born again by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, a real person who has mind, will, and emotion, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside that person. And what it teaches us in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, is that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Think of that for a moment. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. We're dealing in the spiritual realm and not the physical. A husband and wife are one flesh. It's right through the Scripture. God wants oneness. Oneness. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. The most intimate relationship in all the universe. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons in one. Triunity. He made it so that a husband and wife are expressed in, in their marriage in oneness of flesh. The second deepest relationship in the universe is Christ and the believer. Union with Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside. They become one spirit. If I have a glass of water here and a glass of water here and I pour them into a larger container, what happens? It becomes one water. If I have a fire here and a fire here and I put it together, it becomes one fire. If I have a cruise of oil here and a cruise of oil here and I pour it together, it becomes one oil. All three of those, fire, water, oil, are representative of the Holy Spirit. It is a unique capacity in spirit realm, for the Holy Spirit and the spirit of the believer to become one. So he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So living in us this moment, if I'm a child of God, is the Holy Spirit of God who's exactly like Christ, who's exactly like the Father. He has joined himself to my spirit and we are one spirit and if I allow sin in my life undealt with, I grieve him because he loves me. The Holy Spirit wants the very best for me. He knows I'm being robbed of that. The Holy Spirit wants Jesus to be glorified. That is his office. That is his ministry to glorify the Lord Jesus. And when there's sin in a believer's life that's tolerated and undealt with, then he grieves because Christ is not having his way and Christ is not being glorified. Grieve not the Spirit. Don't make him sad by sin in your life. And so what we've now seen in these three scriptures is one, God the Father was grieved to his heart because of man's sin, his evil that ruled him. He was broken over his people, Judah, the Israelites, because of their whoring after idolatry. Jesus Christ sobbed and wailed out loud over Jerusalem because of their rejection. And the Holy Spirit is grieved when you read the context of Ephesians 4 because of sin. The Father is grieved because of sin. Jesus is grieved because of sin. The Holy Spirit is grieved because of sin. And grief is because of love.
I wonder today, is he grieved over you because you've tolerated things in your life that are ungodly, unrighteous, and unholy? Is he grieved over you? Is he grieved over your church because there may be backbiting or there may be criticism of one another? There may be murmuring and complaining. You see, in, the, in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, murmuring and complaining is on the same level as idolatry and immorality. God takes it personally when you murmur and complain against leadership or against one another. Do all things without murmuring and complaining, he says. Unforgiveness and resentment grieves him. A husband not loving his wife as Christ loves the church grieves him. A father who's not teaching his children how to grow up and walk with God is a grief to him. A person who refuses to believe that God really loves them and they can trust Him is a grief to Him. Grieve not the Spirit, whereby you will seal for the day of redemption. Now on the other side, God can be delighted. God can be pleased. Do you remember? It says about what it says about Enoch. Enoch did what? Enoch what? Walked with God. And he was not. For God took him. That'd be a nice way to go, wouldn't it? Enoch walked with God in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek. It's called the Septuagint. Symbolized by LXX. In the Septuagint translation from the Hebrew into Greek, it translates that, and Enoch pleased God. And Enoch pleased God. And then we discover that Jesus pleased his father at his baptism. You're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Apostle Paul said, my ambition is to please him, whether at home or absent. That's found in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Now, Paul, one translation says, I make it my aim. Listen to me for a moment. Going to church is not, is just going to church is not going to cut it. Learning more Bible knowledge is not going to cut it. The Paul, Apostle Paul said, I make it my aim. I have been in this race 60 years. I've had two passions in my soul. My wife knows this quite well. I've had two passions in my soul. My first passion is I have wanted to know how to walk with God. I have studied and read and studied and read and prayed. I have wanted to know personally how I can walk with God. I don't take credit for that. 
I can't tell you the story, but one afternoon, God did something to my heart. I was already a child of God. He did something to my heart and put a burning passion there that has driven me all these years. But secondly, I've had a second passion, and that is I have desired with all my being to help God's people know how to walk with God. For what reason? So that he can be glorified. I'm jealous for God's glory. I want him to be glorified. And I've wanted to help shepherd God's people, those that he would put in my path, to help them know how to walk with God. So he's glorified. One of the things you have to do if you're going to walk with God you have to keep making deliberate choices. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen by sitting under Bible study. It doesn't happen by listening to a good pastor like you have. It doesn't happen just by going through the worship service that David puts together. It doesn't happen. There have to be deliberate choices made inside. This is why it says in Luke 9, 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, 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 and follow me. Follow is a continuous action. You see, dear ones, I don't think we really take the Word of God seriously. Jesus told us quite plainly, take up the cross daily. Paul said, I die daily. He said in Romans 12, present your body a living sacrifice. There have to be deliberate choices made, and it has to be done regularly. So Paul said, I make it my aim. He makes a deliberate choice. He keeps on choosing. My aim is to please him in all things. Have you made that choice? Your money, your marriage, your parenting, your work, your recreation, what you watch on television, what kind of movies you go see. Have you made it your aim? Have you set your heart? Father, I don't want to grieve you. Lord Jesus, I do not want to pain your heart. Holy Spirit, I want you to be delighted with my life. I make it my aim to please you. And so, God is a person whom we can grieve or please. Jesus told Simon Peter what was going to happen. He said, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. Three times. Peter wouldn't believe him. Sure enough, that young lady said to Simon Peter, you're one of them. No, I'm not. Oh, I can tell by accent, you're one of them. No, I'm not. A third time, you're one of them. 
And Simon Peter said, I swear. That's what he was saying. I take an oath. He wasn't cursing. He's saying, I swear. I don't know this man. And the Bible simply tells us, and Jesus turned and looked at Simon Peter. And with that look of compassion and love, it says Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know why? He really did love Jesus, but just not as much as he should. And when Peter reinstated him, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? If I love him, if I really love him, if I really truly love him, I do not want to grieve him, but rather I want to please him. The issue for each of us is do I love him.